0: All right, well, good morning. We have gathered here in in this location and um, I see some faces out there and so it's good to see you uh, all and then then those that that are not comfortable coming or or maybe you uh, just didn't want to come, maybe you're you're still in your bed. Whatever the case, we're glad that you're at least watching. Um, And so here at the outset, let me just, um, in terms of, I don't don't have much uh, introduction other than to say, just bear with, us as a church as we try and figure out this process i know many of you are anxious to to get back to sunday school classes and things like that um we're, we're just gonna play the long game um and and so um we will we'll, we'll be communicating um as as we move forward i will say though there is every sunday robert young has his class out they meet outside and they, people bring their lawn chairs and they sit out there. So if you're really uh, longing for a Sunday school class, Robert would love to have you. It's, it's not limited to only his class. Anyone that, that wants to can come. I mean, they're, they're going through the book of Malachi and so that you're, you, are, you are all welcome. I'm um, at 945, they, they do that each week. Um, and so that is one thing that we are doing. Um, and so hopefully we will, we'll, we will get back to a more normal schedule. Um, I just don't know when that's gonna be. So continue to bear with us. Um, let me just at the outset. I'm 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 going to mention a few things that we're going to be praying for. Um, so, so last week Frances um, had a a stroke, and so I was able to go visit her several times this week. She's now been moved to a rehabilitation center, which is good news. So she is improving, um, and so she. Uh, Cindy, her daughter, said that tomorrow starts the real hard work of, of physical therapy. So, but if you know Francis, you know that she is pretty resilient and determined, and so she will, I'm sure, do well. So we're going to keep praying for her. Um, and, so, and also, uh, Jerry, Jerry Keast and, and Karen are here, but, but Jerry I uh, got word that, that one of his sons passed away down in Florida uh, last week. So we're going to be praying for, for Jerry and, and his family. Um, and then also, we, we have been praying for a, a young mom named Courtney, um, and so she, we've been praying for her in her battle with cancer. She passed away yesterday. Um, and so we'll keep praying for her. Um, her her three kids, they're they the, the prayer now. We want, we want the Lord to provide for them, care for them. Um, and so just, we'll be praying for them in a, in a second. But just so you know, um, the, those are the things. And if you have, as you have requests, um, please call the church, leave a message, call my cell phone and let me know and then we can... Uh, we can we can be praying. We're seeing about maybe having a, a weekly kind of prayer list to distribute. Um, but th- those are some things that we'll be praying for. Um, but but here we've come uh, we've come to worship together, and so that's that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to start by reading from Isaiah. I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 55. I'm going to read I'm going to read all of chapter 55. It's only 13 verses, so you can you can follow along um, or just listen as I read Isaiah 55, and then I will pray. Uh, Pray for us as we begin. So here's Isaiah 55, uh, beginning in verse one. "'Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, "'and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. "'Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. "'Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread "'and your labor for that which does not satisfy? "'Listen diligently to me and eat what is good "'and delight yourselves in rich food.'" incline your ear and come to me hear that your soul may live and I will make an, I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast sure love for David behold I made him a witness to the peoples a leader and commander for the peoples behold you shall call a nation that you do not know a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel for he has glorified you And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that will not be cut off. Let's let's pray together. Lord, you are a compassionate Lord. You are our God and you will abundantly pardon. And we confess that we're dependent upon your compassion, in your pardoning of our transgressions. We acknowledge, Lord, that you bring all the provision, all the bread and all the wine and all the good provisions and we bring all the want and all the lack and all the need and, and even though we bring nothing, we are still invited to come and feast at your table and enjoy the richest affairs. And so this morning we, we confess that we do often spend money on things that are not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy. We, we are so busy pursuing other means when, when you are beckoning us always. And so, so we want to come to you. We want to hear and live and be satisfied by, by you alone. And so I ask that you would help us to do that. We, we are turning our ears to you. We long to be fed by you. We long to delight in you and the richest affair that only you can provide. And so we, Father, are those who've heard the call of the gospel, we've come to Christ, the savior of our souls, the one who meets all of our needs, the one that, that we know is well acquainted with grief, the one who's able to sympathize with the wayward and the ignorant. And so we are thankful this morning that in Christ you have come near to us, and that we may find him, we may call upon his name, and we may be saved by him. And so we thank you for the good news of salvation that's come to us through Christ. We're thankful for the good news that promises eternal life and joy for those who call upon his name. And so this morning we praise the name of our Lord, we praise the name of Christ, the name that's above every name, and we, we proclaim that, that to him belong all glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forevermore. And so we, we stand under our Lord, praising and worshiping him as the lamb who was slain for us, who was, was buried and is now alive. And so we pray, Lord, for the effectiveness of your word as you promise here in, Psalm, or in Isaiah 55. We pray that as a church, your word will bear fruit in our corporate body, but we also pray individually that your word will produce a good fruit, that it will bring about growth and sprouting and vegetation and, and all the things that we need and so we pray that your word, like the rain, would produce fruit in our lives. And we we continue to pray for for the family of Courtney, uh, Lord. We we pray especially for her three kids. We pray that you would provide for them. We pray that you would care for them. Would you work out details that they might be well cared for and and know that they're loved and provided for, uh, Lord? We pray for the entire situation, uh, Lord. We confess, I confess, I don't know why you would allow Courtney to, come, to succumb to this disease. I can think of many, many reasons why it would be so great if she would have recovered, but, but here we are, and so we're, we don't know why these things happen, Lord, but we know that you are good, we know that you are faithful, and we know that you're near to the brokenhearted, and so we pray for you to be near to, to the Bowmans and, and to Stacy and, and, and Courtney's family and friends. We continue to pray for baby Avery, the, the discerns grandson. We, we thank you for his continued growth and development. And we do, we join with Ron and Sherry and ask that he might be able to come home soon. Just thank you for the ways that you've sustained him. And we continue to pray for Francis Hartman and Maria Palmer and, and their continued growth. Thank you for these, these women. We pray for their physical strength as they continue to, to recover from, from their infection and their stroke. But, but Lord, I, I also pray for their spiritual strength. Thank you for both of these women and, and the hope that they have. Thank you that they're both ready to be home with you whenever you call them. And so we pray that you would continue to sustain their hope in you as they, as they continue to battle. And Lord, we, we pray for uh, Jerry and Karen Keast and, and the details surrounding um, the passing of Jerry's son. We, we pray for that family um, Lord, be near to Jerry and Karen as, as they are, are, are grieving and, and mourning that loss. And, and all that surrounds that. So we pray for that family. Uh, and then, Lord, lastly, we, we pray for the, the upcoming surgeries for Hazel Lemon and her knee surgery tomorrow. Uh, we pray that surgery good, would go well and that, that Hazel would, would be home um, soon with, with a new knee. Um, and so so thank you for, for Hazel. Uh, Lord, help us to be to be your people. Help us to be the neighbors that we're called to be. Help us to love others. Help us to be servants of all. Help us to consider others as more significant to ourselves. Help us to, to die to self and live for the sake of others. Um, teach us to follow the example of Christ our Lord. Um, and it's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen. Well, we, we've got we've got a lot to cover, and so we are gonna jump right in. I'm sorry there's no transition, but but we're gonna jump right into our... Um, message and so if if you have been with us on and off or if you haven't been with us we've been working through a series on the Holy Spirit and this is our eighth week um, and, and so uh, I don't every week I don't recap every week that we've we've looked at but I do think it's helpful now I haven't done this yet so I just want to recap um, the the past eight or past seven weeks. Um, And so we began looking in John 16 and and the work of the spirit to glorify Christ. So in John 16, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says, I'm gonna send my spirit, he's gonna glorify me. So he looked at the the work of the spirit to glorify Christ. And the next week, we looked at the work of the spirit also from John 16, uh, the work of the spirit to convict the world. Jesus said that the spirit was gonna be sent to convict the world. And then we looked at the the, the work of the Spirit as, as this transition between an old and a new covenant. So we looked at the new covenant work of the Spirit and we looked at how the book of Acts kind of plays that out and, and the Spirit's work marks a transition a, a, something that's changed uh, in, in this new covenant that was instituted by the death and resurrection of Christ. And then we looked at the work of the Spirit in new birth. So We looked at Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus um, and the necessity of being born again, where Jesus uh, tells Nicodemus, if you wanna enter the kingdom, you must be born again. So we looked at the Spirit is the one who gives this new birth. And then we looked at part five, the work of the Spirit in God's children. So in Romans 8, 14 through 16, we looked at the Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. So the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are his children. And then we started this, this, this uh, discussion on the Spirit transforming God's people. And so we've done part one, part two, and this is part three on the Spirit transforming God's people. And so that, that's what we're gonna look at this week. We're gonna look at, at another part of this transforming work of the Spirit. Now, as weeks have gone on, part of me has realized that this series could go on and on and on and on and on. I, I, could, I could go on, I mean, indefinitely with the work of the Spirit. In fact, when I started, normally I'm, I'm very organized in terms of my preaching schedule. I say, okay, this date is this passage, this date is this passage. But when I started this, I said, well, let's just do, I don't know how long we're gonna be in quarantine. I don't know how long this is gonna have to go. And so let's just start a series on the Holy Spirit. And so we started, and each week, I didn't know where I was going the following week. And, and as the week progressed, it became really clear. Um, and so I, I, I'm just telling you all that to let you know we're not gonna go on indefinitely. Okay, so I see the end in sight um, though you'll laugh at that in just a, a minute. Um, but my, my plan is uh, to, to um, now begin, after we finish this section, to begin looking at the work of the Spirit corporately. So, so we'll look at the, the gifts of the Spirit, um, and, and so the, the unity that the Spirit provides. So, so we'll look at the work of the Spirit corporately, and then we will um, be done with, with this series. And, and I don't know when that is, but, but that's kind of where um, we're going but this week we are, like I said, continuing work, focusing on the transforming work of the spirit in the lives of Christians. And so the past two weeks we looked at, there's a a phrase in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we focused on. So in 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul writes, we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. So that's a phrase, being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we've looked at that one phrase, our being transformed. And so last week, we looked specifically at this, this process of transformation, which, which I, I, I identified as the process of sanctification, which is simply a, a growth in holiness, a growth in godliness. And so we looked at last week that every Christian, if you are a Christian, you've received the Spirit, which every Christian has received the Spirit. That's not a subset. But if you're a Christian, you have received the Spirit and you are in process of being made to be more and more like Jesus. That's the purpose of your salvation. You are made, you have been saved to, to be holy and to, to become Christ-like in your actions and attitudes and thoughts. And so, and so last week we looked at this process of sanctification is a lifelong process but every Christian is on the same road. We're at different points, we're going different speeds, we're in different types of cars, but we're all on the same road, headed towards the same goal, which is the holiness or, or godliness or Christlikeness. And so after we finished that, I felt like, we, we kind of stopped and it would be helpful for me to spend at least one week working out the process. Okay, we're all going there I get it, we're all in process, but, but how does it actually work? Well, what does it look like for, for this process of gradual growth or transformation? And so I thought it'd be helpful to have a whole sermon explaining and laying out kind of the terrain of pursuing holiness, this, this process of being transformed. And so earlier this week I had a sermon for that purpose. So I had one sermon with three points. But after beginning to put that one sermon together, after I began writing under the first point, I kept writing and writing and writing. Before I know it, I had one sermon under the first point. Okay, and so instead of cutting all that material out and and fitting the three points in one sermon, I decided, well, we're gonna do more than one sermon. Okay, and so we have one sermon this morning that that is gonna be on this first point um, of this process. So, uh, here the outline that I'm gonna show you is, is, is four points. We're, we're only gonna get through one and two this morning. Um, I added a second point just so it wouldn't be a one-point sermon. Right, that, that's not, who likes that? Um, so so the, the outline that, that hopefully Lord Willin will be your outline for the next two weeks. We'll see sources of growth and that's where we're gonna spend the majority of our time. Then we're gonna see the process of growth. That's where we're gonna end today. And then th- next week, Lord Willin will be back and we'll look at patterns of growth and then means of growth. Okay, so so this week the plan is to get through points one and two, um, which maybe we'll only get through point one. I'm gonna keep watching my watch. But let's start there at the first point, the sources of growth. Okay, and so the sources of growth, as we begin, I'm gonna lay out the main idea under this one point, and this is really the the main point of this whole sermon. And the main point, I'm I'm gonna give you two statements, and these two statements together make the main point or explain the main point of the sermon. So here are the two statements. First statement Your growth in holiness requires the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's statement one. Your growth in sanctification and holiness and godliness, it requires the supernatural work of God in your life through the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's statement one. Second statement, your growth in holiness requires your work, your discipline, your effort, Okay, so those are the two statements. That, that's the main point that I want you to walk away with this morning. Your growth in holiness requires God's work. Your growth in, requir- in holiness requires your work. Okay, and both are true. We're gonna, we're gonna see that. And so because both are true, this means that when it comes to your spiritual growth, your progress, there are two sources for growth. Okay, there's two sources, God and the Christian. So there's, there's two sources, we're gonna look at those. Now, before you start raising any objections in your mind, you, you can turn to Philippians 3, or Philippians 2, because I wanna show you the passage that most clearly lays out these two sources. So Philippians chapter two, and it's just, it's just two verses here in Philippians chapter two, it's verses 12 and 13. And so I'm gonna read this to you and I want you to listen to these two sources that, that Paul has no problem putting side by side. So Philippians 2 so if you remember Philippians 2 there's this whole, this Christ hymn where, where this, this, this language where Paul says here follow the example of Christ and, and here's what Christ did, can, didn't consider equality just this powerful verses there in 1 through 11 but then he gets to verse 12 and then he begins addressing the Philippians and he writes this, verse 12 of Philippians 2 therefore my beloved, right so he's writing to the Christians there in Philippi as you have always obeyed So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, okay? So he wants them to obey, right? And and specifically, he wants them to to imitate Christ as he's just laid out earlier in chapter two. But here's what he says. So here's what I want you to do in my presence, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Here's what I want you to do, Philippians. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse thirteen. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Guess okay, so do, do, you see, do you see the tension there? He says, okay, Christians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 12, that's work out your own salvation. Verse 13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, so there's the both truths. Work out your own salvation, for it is God who works. Right? It's almost as though Paul says, okay, work out your own fear, uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And he thinks, well, wait, wait a minute, I, I don't want to be accused of putting all the eggs in, in one basket, so let me just make, make clear, you work for it is God who works in you according to his good pleasure. So he clarifies with the second place, with the second statement. And so these are the two sources. And, and, if, and if the apostle Paul were here standing right beside me and, and we we're doing a, a panel discussion, we might want to follow up and say, okay, Paul, well, well who is it? Is it, is it us or is it God? Who, who is it, Paul, that works? Who does it? So, so let's say, Paul, I, I, I held my tongue this week. I refrained from anger. I, I showed kindness or I, f-, I fled temptation. I avoided sin. I, I carried out a righteous act. Okay, Paul, in all these situations, when, when there was positive growth, when, when something good happened, who is responsible? Who is actually doing it? And so I think Paul would say to us, well, you do it, you did it. And God is the one who's working and willing, enabled you to do it. So you did it, but you did it because God did it, right? And so so he holds forward these these two truths and and he holds them in balance. He he doesn't feel the need to, to, to defend either one of these. Paul holds both of these in balance and in tension. And so what I'm, what I'm gonna say this morning is if we wanna be biblical, we have to maintain the same balance. We have to live within that tension, especially as we think practically about growth in the Christian life, as we think about growth in holiness. Right? So, so as in all cases of imbalance, if, if we're excessively emphasizing God's work, if we're excessively emphasizing our work, right, we're, we're off on a ditch in either side and we're not, we're not safe anymore, So so we have to avoid excessively emphasizing one or the other. You've got to have both for balance to stay in the middle. One commentator explains it this way. He says, when considering our growth in godliness, we are prone to extremes. Here's extreme one. Some wait passively for God to zap them into godliness because they believe that they do that to do otherwise is to rely on the flesh, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to let go and let God in. He's going to do it. He's going to zap me. He's going to do whatever he's going to do. So that's an extreme. Others, other extreme, work themselves to exhaustion because they believe that God has already done his part and now the rest is up to them. So so those are two extremes. And, And this commentator says neither extreme is biblical. There's a balance, there's a tension between these two truths, and the Bible emphasizes both aspects, both sources. We must work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, and God must work in us, causing us to will and to work. And so this tension is the tension that we have to hold in balance in the process of sanctification. We want to stay out of ditches. We We don't want to let go and let God as if we have nothing to do but we also don't want to act as if we are able because of our own discipline, because of our own stick to that, that we can grow even an inch on our own because we can't. And so, so I want us to allow these truths to shape our thinking about sanctification. We can't grow if we aren't active. We can't grow if we aren't pursuing godliness, right? We can't drift into holiness. You never drift anywhere good, Right? That's the case in almost all of life, but especially in the Christian life. You don't drift anywhere good. If you're not doing anything, you're going the wrong way. You're drifting away from where you ought to be going. That's the first truth. We, 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 we can't grow if we aren't active. And then secondly, we can't grow if God doesn't work. We can't grow if God doesn't enable or produce the, the, the ability and the willingness for us to work. We work, God works. Okay, and so just to make sure we're on the same page, I, I, wanna, I wanna just lay out God as the source and Christians as the source, and I just wanna look at a few passages um, that, that make this clear. Okay, so, so first, looking at God as the source. So, so we'll look at a, a couple passages. First, before we look at a specific passage, I, I, broadly speaking, um, recognize that the source of our holiness or the source of our growth comes from God, specifically by way of commands or charges, or imperative. So in the scriptures, when we, when we hear commands or, or imperatives and says you ought to live this way, you ought not to live this way, we ought to implicitly recognize that God is the one commanding us. And so in that sense, he's the source of, of, of our growth because he's the one who tells us what we ought to do. And so, so that's broadly speaking, but, but more specifically, let me mention two passages. First is 2 Corinthians 3.18, which we've, we've looked at the past two weeks. But that passage Paul's language is telling. He says, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. Being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord in who is the spirit. And so again, there's this passive role of we all, right? We are passive in this verse. We all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. We're not transforming ourselves. We're being acted upon. We are being transformed Paul says, from one degree of glory to another. So the point is clear. And just just to, just to make make even further, the case even further, Paul continues, this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. This whole process is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So this is God who does it. The transformation, the growth, the, the, the progress comes from God, from the Spirit. So God is the source. The, the, the second passage, seeing God as the source, is Galatians 5.22 One of the most well-known verses or or passages in the book of Galatians, listen to how Paul writes there in Galatians 5.22. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so Paul's part of the argument throughout Galatians is the fact that the Galatians had received the Spirit, and he says, because you've received the Spirit, here is fruit of the Spirit. Here are things, virtues, characteristics that the Spirit must produce in you and will produce in you. You don't you don't you don't grow in your Christian life by keeping the law, Paul would say in Galatians, but you grow in the you grow in the Christian life because the Spirit is at work and the Spirit is helping you grow and producing this fruit. These are spirit-wrought virtues, Paul would say, which means, you Galatians, you can't can't make these things grow on your own. They don't grow apart from the spirit producing them. So God is the source. Next passage, 1 Thessalonians 5. This is the end of the, the letter to the Thessalonians. Notice Paul's benediction. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. So not only does Paul make clear that it is God who must sanctify us completely, he also makes clear that God will sanctify us completely. He is the source. He is faithful, he will surely do it, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.24. And so God is the source. He's the one who has to completely sanctify and he's the one who will. And now we can look at more, but that, that's enough for now. Right? So hopefully you see the emphasis, God is the source. Okay, but but what about this other side? What about passages that emphasize our role Christians as the source? Because if we stop there, identifying God as the first source, or even the primary source, if we say nothing more, we're missing the biblical picture. We're missing another essential source. So, so one author, Jerry Bridges, explains it this way. He says, "No one can attain any degree of holiness without God working in his life. But just as surely, no one will attain it without effort on his own part." God has made it possible for us to walk in holiness, but he has given us the responsibility of doing the walking. Another author reminds us, and this I think is helpful, he says, quote, effort is not a four-letter word. You're like, well, of course it's not, right? Effort is not a bad word in the Christian life. We ought to exert effort. He continues, it is the consistent witness of the New Testament that growth in godliness requires exertion, effort on the part of the Christian. And so we we can't stop at saying God is the source. We we must not neglect our role or our part. So so what are some passages we see this? The first one is, is 1 Corinthians 9. So here's Paul, listen to Paul as the apostle, himself explaining his mindset as an apostle. He writes in 1 Corinthians 9, beginning verse 24, he says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we do it to obtain an imperishable wreath. So I do not run aimlessly, Paul says. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And so that language there is telling. Now, Now, like I said, Paul in the context is describing his effort as an apostle, and none of us here are apostles, right? I, I grant that, we aren't apostles, but I think the point still stands that the Paul's, Paul's effort in progress was necessary. I, he, I train myself, I, I'm diligent, I'm disciplined. We might say that Paul was a CrossFit Christian. And the point that we ought not to miss is that our Christian life, like Paul's apostolic life, requires and demands and involves discipline and effort. We might say that your sanctification, my sanctification requires a little sweat. And while I get that some of you or us don't love working out or exercising, I get that. For the Christian, it is necessary, right? Sweat, effort, is a necessary occupational hazard for the Christian. And we must simply acknowledge that. We exert effort. We are a source of growth. Another one that I'll mention is 2 Peter chapter one, verses three through 11. It's a lengthy passage, but just listen as, as Peter describes Christian growth. So second Peter, chapter one, beginning of verse three, he writes, now God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Right? So, so he begins, God's power has, has granted us all this. He, he picks up in verse five, for this very reason, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self control, self control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. So make every effort to do these things. Verse 8 For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Verse 10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. And so there, Peter says, make every effort to pursue these qualities. Make every effort, be diligent, Peter says, to confirm your calling and election confirm, or 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 uh, or or evidence or validate your calling and election. He doesn't say do this to guarantee or ensure your salvation. That that's a totally different uh, playing field. That we're, we're not there. We're not talking about working and and exerting effort to be saved, but as one who is saved, we exert confirming that we are saved, confirming we are born again, just like when a newborn baby, when life is there, there are evidences of life. There's, there, there's, there's coughing and crying and, and crying and, and crying. Right, That's evidence of newborn life, just like for the Christian, there is evidence of life. And, and Paul is saying you pursue these things, or Peter is saying pursue these things. And you can't pursue these qualities passively. You pursue them by pursuing them intentionally, volitionally. And we must pursue them because they don't come naturally. Christians play a part. Christians are the source. Now, the other places we could look, we're not gonna mention, and we're not gonna look at this week because that's what, next week we're, we're gonna look at a lot of these, but, but just, just I'll, I'll list them off. Paul says, put to death the deeds of the flesh. And that, that's a call to do something. Put off the old self. Put to death what's earthly in, in you. Strive to enter the kingdom. Right. These are all imperatives, commands, that, that, that are given to Christians and they all assume a response. We don't want to read these commands and say, oh yeah, God, God does that. I don't, I don't have to obey Paul's command. I don't have to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Right? No, we don't rob these commands of, of their legitimacy. We don't read them and say, yeah, but, but we can't do that. Instead, right, we hear them and we endeavor to abide by them, to fulfill them, to obey them. We are called to act. Right? And Christians are the source. And it's on this point I want to focus and I want to sit here for just a few minutes and let this reality that Christians, as Christians, we are part of the process. I want this reality to just sink in. And I want to do so because as I look across the current Christian landscape, as I look at my own life, this area is where we need to have our toes stepped on a little bit. Now see, graciously and lovingly stepped on, but stepped on nonetheless, We need to hear that our lack, that my lack of spiritual growth, nine times out of 10, maybe eight times out of 10, comes from my lack in personal pursuit of it. And I want us to feel the weight that we bear. I want us to recognize what's at stake. I don't grow spiritually if I don't personally pursue it, if I don't work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. And so as I look around, I don't see many Christians diligently pursuing Christian growth, myself included. I I, I don't see that. I see us pursuing lots of other things, lots of other good things, but pursuing them at the neglect of Christian maturity, Christian growth, so I see us pursuing television. I see us pursuing jobs and careers and recreations. I see us pursuing relationships. I see us pursuing opportunities for our kids. I see us pursuing our online reputation. I see us pursuing a lot of things, but I don't see us pursuing godliness. I don't get the sense that we're in our closets, at our tables, on our faces praying or reading, studying, memorizing God's word. I don't, I don't see it, I don't get that sense. And I say that knowing that, that my own heart is the place where I have the clearest perception and it's true there too. Okay, so, so hear me say that, it's true for me too. And so I want us to hear this point that we don't grow when we don't care about growing. And we show sure that we care about growing by pursuing growth. John Murray puts it this way Sanctification is the sanctification of persons, and persons are not machines. It would be so easy if we're just machines that when you got saved, God programmed you and you automatically grew. I would love that. I have no issue with that, but that's not who we are. We are not machines. And so we are not passive. We can't just let go and let God, hoping to float victoriously through the Christian life without any conflict or tension or issues. That's not reality. And this is the point of Philippians two. Believers must take personal responsibility for growing in Christ's likeness The command to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling is crucial for a proper understanding of the Christian, work, uh, of the Christian life. We work, God works. We work, God works. These are the two sources of growth. Now, now I thought of an example uh, last night um, of, of, of maybe this illustrates it. It's like at our house, we have a playroom. And and oftentimes it's clean, but when the playroom is a mess, it is a it's a mess. And, and I mean, so so there's Legos, there's stuffed animals, there's there's action figures, um, most of them from the neighbors that have made it to our house. Uh, pillows, there's blankets, there's banana peels, there's half-eaten apples, there's there's half-filled cans of sparkling water, and and much more. Right. So so the playroom is a mess. It's not normal, but it's not uncommon either. And so when, when the time comes, when, when play is over, the playroom has to be picked up, right? That, that's, a, that's a must, right? If you live in the house of Jancy Cecil, there is time to clean up. And so when it's time to clean up, the, the kids will often say immediately after being told, hey, it's time to clean up, you guys clean up the playroom, they'll immediately say, daddy, I can't do it. It's too much, I'm not gonna, you have to help. Daddy, it's too much, please, please help. And so when I hear that, they're immediately told, clean up, and they immediately respond with that, I want to say, you haven't even picked up a thing. Not a, you're not even trying, Susanna. You're, you haven't exerted one ounce of effort. Why am I gonna help you when you're doing Nothing. You don't care one bit about cleaning up. You just want me to help, quote unquote help, so that you don't have to do anything. Now, if they obeyed in a timely manner and if they began working to clean up and then they pleaded with me, Daddy, please help. Of course, I'm gonna gladly help. No no question. And so as I thought about that and I think about our role in pursuing sanctification and Christian growth, I wonder How many times we cry out, how many times we plead with the Lord, God change me, help. Things are so hard, why why aren't I growing? Do something, when we cry that out, I wonder how many times the Lord would be able to look down and say, you don't even care about growing or changing. You haven't even picked up the smallest Lego. You don't really want to grow or change. Now, of course, God is a far superior father than I am and he isn't watching and waiting to see if, if we want to grow before he steps in. That's not the case. That, 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 the, the, the illustration doesn't go that far. God is always at work and he's always cleaning up the playroom as it were, even when we're not, right? That, that's because God is a kind and gracious and loving heavenly father. But my point is that if we recognize the significance of spiritual growth, if we recognize the importance that it plays in our lives, we would be pursuing it. We would be striving and running and exercising, but we don't oftentimes because we expect God to do it all. And that's, that's not how it works. That's not the pattern we see in scripture. The pattern we see is us working and running, pursuing it wholeheartedly as if it depended on us while at the same time pleading with our father to grant success and growth. Because at the end of the day, yes, there are two sources. Yes, we must work. Hopefully you hear that. But our work is nothing without God. God is always the foundation. Our working is always grounded in the work of God on our behalf, and so we see these two sources come together and and form one process, which leads to the final point that we'll look at today, that the process of growth. So so we have these two sources, uh, but we we have to make sure and understand how these two sources combine in in one process. So it's not like the part of you that God sanctifies and the part of you that you sanctifies, right? These two sources come together and sanctify you as a whole person, and so there's one process of growth. And so that as we work through this process, that one of the best descriptions that I, that I came across of this process is a quote by a guy named John Murray. So listen to what he says. And so I'm, I'm gonna read a phrase and I'm gonna, gonna explain it or, or, or walk it out. So, so God's working, quote, God's working in us is not suspended because we work, nor our working suspended because God's work. God works. And so it's not like God's working stops when we work, and then our work, our when our working sta- starts, God's our stops or God starts. Right? It's, it's not that's not how it works. It's not like a the, the heating and cooling element. So when Jane and I first got married, we lived in Louisville, Kentucky, and there's a, an apartment, and it was either heat or air. That, that that was how that was in the, in the in how the, the the contracts were signed so all the tenants knew that that the second week in May was was when the 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 heat would be changed to to air. And, and so that that second week in May our our little apartment would be filled with with ton, lots and lots of of oscillating fans because it was so hot. But but they, the the rule was Dolores I'm not going to turn on the air until May 13th or whatever it was, right? That, that's just it. So when the, when the heat was on, you couldn't have air. But once the air turned on, once it got cold, you couldn't turn it off and, and put the heat back on. It was a like, when one was on, the other wasn't. And when the other one was on, the other wasn't, right? So, so that's how it worked. And, and th- that's not the process of sanctification. It's not like when we work, God takes his hand off and stops working. It's not like when God works, we must stop. One source doesn't suspend the other, Murray continues, neither is the relation strictly one of cooperation, as if God did his part and we did ours, so that the conjunction or the coordination of both produced the required result. So in this sense, it's not like a 50-50 deal. It's not like, okay, Christian, you pull your weight and I'm gonna pull mine. That's not how it works, it's not 50-50. Now that, that, it's not some type of contract where we have obligations to fulfill. Thankfully, the Lord isn't keeping tabs and, and adjusting his effort based on ours. Like, oh, they're only giving half, half amount of effort, so I'm gonna pull back some. That's not how it works. It's not, it's not this contractual give or take. Now, we're not an equal partner with the Lord to bring about the intended result. God works in us, and we also work. And here's, the, here's how, how Murray describes the relation. But the relation is that because God works We work. Because God works, we work. All working out of salvation on our part is the effect of God's working in us. And so because God works, we work. That's how the process forms together. And so we do work, we do work, but God's work is foundational. Because God works, we work, which is what brings us back to Philippians 2, when Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for, that's the ground, right? That, that's the, the reason why we work out, when you see the word for, that, that's, that's the ground. The reason, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who works in us. And that is our ultimate hope in growth. That is the hope in our working and striving. What the apostle is urging is the necessity of working out our own salvation and the encouragement that he supplies is the assurance that it is God himself who works in us. What, what more encouragement could you need? You should work and work hard and work hard because God is the one working in you. And so the more persistently active we are in working, the more persuaded we may be that all the energizing grace and power of God is of God. The energizing grace and power is of God, that it's God who's working. And so we work not because we believe that it's totally dependent on us, but we work because we know that God is working in us and he is the one who not only enables us to work, but he's the one that is also, he is also the one who is working on our behalf and he does so as we've seen by his spirit. And so we, with Paul, work out our fear, work out our own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work. In, in Colossians 1 Paul would also say this. Again, th- this, is, this is where we are. Paul says that we toil and struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So, so, so again, we work and God works, and we work because God works. And so we're going to stop this morning. We have a lot more to say, but, but that's enough for us today. Uh, and so I just, I just want to close um, by, by simply imploring you as a believer. Uh, as, as someone who's, who's put your faith in Christ, as someone who's been given the Spirit, as someone who's, who's been called to, to pursue this holiness by, by your Father, to, to be holy like your Father is holy. I just want to implore you this week to, to pursue holiness, to be diligent, to be disciplined. Let's be people who are serious about our own spiritual health. Now, and now if you're not a believer, you should hear me say that, that all, any amount of working that you're gonna do is gonna get you nowhere. Right? You can't work out a salvation that you don't have. And salvation is not by works, but it's by faith. And so if you're not a Christian, don't work, but put your faith and rest in Jesus. Right? That, that's what you should do this week. You should turn to Christ and, and trust in him. And then you can endeavor to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But, but if you don't have a salvation, if you're not saved, you haven't put your faith in Jesus, haven't been born again, if you haven't been given the spirit, then, then the worst thing you could do is try and work. But for the Christian, let's let's aim, let's aim to be diligent this week. And as we do so, let us do so humbly recognizing that our toil, that our struggle are only possible, that our pursuit of holiness and our growth and sanctification is totally dependent upon God's working and willing in us. And so let's cast ourselves wholly on the Lord as we work. Let me, let me pray uh, as we close.